Singing is such a great way to praise the Lord. We'll do some more singing in a few minutes. Now let's get back to our continuing Bible story from the Bible in Living Sound. The solemn yet joyous ceremonies attending the removal of the ark to Jerusalem had made a lasting impression upon the people of Israel, arousing a deeper interest and reverence for the sanctuary service and kindling anew their zeal for God. The influence thus exerted was far-reaching and it resulted in freeing the nation of idolatry. Many of the surrounding nations were led to think favorably of Israel's God, who had done such great things for his people. Not long after the ark had been placed in a tent that had been especially prepared for it, David was sitting in the palace garden reflecting on the many blessings that had been his when he was joined by Queen Abigail. My husband, the king, is in a reflective mood. Yes, I've been thinking. Abigail, look about you. Look at this palace, this garden, and all the other appointments of the palace. <laughs> beautiful, don't you think? It's the most beautiful royal palace in all the world. And you build it. You, my husband, King David, king of all Israel. Oh, I'm so proud of you, David. Yes, God has blessed me abundantly. A shepherd lad, watching sheep. That's what I was just a few years ago. Now I dwell in the most magnificent palace in the world. A palace fit for the king of Israel, people are saying. Yet, Abigail, my dear, look over there. What do you see? Why, the tent where the ark was put. Why? What do you think of it? I think it's wonderful that the ark is so close to the royal palace and that you are making Jerusalem the religious center of Israel. Surely you'll be even more greatly blessed. These things are true. But I mean, what do you think about me, the king of Israel, living in a newly built beautiful palace while the king of kings dwells in a mere tent? It doesn't seem quite fitting, does it? It most certainly does not. And I intend to do something about it. I shall build a temple for the ark, the most beautiful building the world has ever seen. I can see it now, David. A magnificent, imposing temple. The pride and show place of Israel. It will express Israel's appreciation of the honor granted the nation and the abiding presence of God. I shall go see the prophet Nathan at once and get his approval. His Majesty seeks my advice. I seek the will of God. Then do all that is within thine heart, O King, for the Lord is with thee. Nathan! Nathan! Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Go and say unto my servant David these words. Shalt thou build me an house to live in? Whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. Say further unto David, I took thee from following sheep to be ruler over Israel, and I was with thee whithersoever thou wentest and have cut off all thine enemies, and have made thee a great name, like unto the name of the great men of earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people, and will... 
These things, your majesty, were shown unto me last night in a vision, and I came immediately to make them known unto thee. Then God does approve of my plan to build him a permanent temple. He is well pleased with the idea. But he doesn't want me to build it. From thy earliest youth, O king, thou hast shed blood abundantly, and hast made great wars. Therefore the Lord does not wish for thee to build him a house. But a son shall be born unto thee, O king. He shall be a man of rest and peace, for the Lord shall give him peace with the nations round about. He shall build a house unto the name of God. I, I had looked forward to building the temple. It would bring great honor and glory to God and to Israel. But I... I submit my will to the will of God. It is a wonderful thing, O king, to submit one's hopes and desires to the will of God. It is a rare thing, even among God's own people. Often people are so set upon accomplishing the work which they have set their hearts upon that they refuse to yield the accomplishment of that work to another. They cling with desperate energy to that which they want to do, vainly endeavoring to accomplish that which they are incapable of doing, while that which they might do lies neglected. Blessings and prosperity follow thee all the days of thy life, David, thou friend of God. O Lord God of Israel, who am I that thou hast brought me up from tending sheep? For thy word's sake, and according to thine own heart, hast thou done all these great things to make thy servant know them. Thou art great, O Lord God. There is none like unto thee. Neither is there any God beside thee. Let thy name be magnified forever. Thou art God, and thy words be true. Thou hast promised, and it shall come to pass. For thy name is great, O Lord God. There is none like unto continue the Bible story tomorrow, and if you would like to have these stories to listen to at home, you can call the Bible in Living Sound at 1-800-634-0234. That's 1-800-634-0234. Now here's some more music before we have to say goodbye.
Everyone prays. I don't. You don't pray? Well, I try, but I don't know what to say. I mean, you're supposed to talk to the creator of the entire universe, the God who made everything. Why would he be interested in little old me? I used to think the very same thing, but then I remembered something. What? He also made me, 
So I figure if he went through all the trouble of giving me my silly nose and these totally strange ears, he should at least listen when I complain about them. <laughs> and your knees. You've got the craziest knees. Thank you. I get the picture. So you figure that God listens to you because of the way you look? I figure God listens to me because I'm different from everyone else in the world. I'm special, unique. If he took the time to make me the way I am, he must be interested in what I do and what I think. Because what I do and what I think is special too. Okay, I get it. When you talk to God, you know he hears you because your prayer is different from anyone else. Just like you're different from anyone else, right? Yeah, that's right. My words are special to him. At least, that's what I like to think. You know, there are special things about me too. I've got red hair and my mouth is kind of crooked. God would recognize you anywhere. Cool. The next time I pray, I'll know he's listening because he made me special. Don't forget your elbow. It's totally strange. Got it. And your left eyebrow. What's up with that? Can we talk about something else now? Jesus wants to be our friend. He's interested in everything we do and longs to be included in our lives. He has placed in our hearts a desire to share our deepest secrets and brightest hopes with him. This program was brought to you by the Children's Ministries Department of the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. Hi, boys and girls. This is Ms. Kathy. I'm so happy you've joined me today for another story just for you. Today's story is Chapter 7, The Two Crows As the next few days went on, things pretty much returned to normal. Chris didn't hear much about buried treasure from Sammy, Dee Dee, and Jenny at school. It seemed as if they had given up on the idea. Willie went to another school, so Chris didn't hear from him at all. Even Ryan, who had seemed to supply enough enthusiasm for the rest of the group, had turned his energies back to baseball. On Thursday after school, Chris and Maria were standing by the school fence when Mrs. Vargas drove up and beeped the car's horn. They climbed into the car, Maria in the front and Chris in the back. So how was school? Mrs. Vargas asked, looking in the rearview mirror at Chris as they pulled out into the street. Oh, okay, I guess, Chris said unenthusiastically. Math's going to be a killer this year. Have much homework? Mrs. Vargas asked, looking in the mirror and then at Maria. None. Maria said, as cheerful as usual. A little, Chris said, almost in a moan. Well, I want to do a little shopping on the way home, Mrs. Vargas said. There's a new fabric store on the east side of town I want to check out. You two are welcome to come in and look around if you want, or you can stay in the car and do your homework. The car left the main road and pulled onto the freeway. I'll stay here, Chris said, still without enthusiasm. Hey, Chris, I'll help you with your math if you want, Maria said. Sure, he said. That's a nice older sister, Mrs. Vargas said. Chris, can you say thank you? Chris looked up. Why? She hasn't done anything yet. Chris, Mrs. Vargas said, shame on you. She did, too, do something. She offered to help you. That's all right, Mom, Maria said. He's just in a bad mood. Yeah, Maria's right, Chris said. I am in a bad mood. I have been all week. Why, Mom asked. Because your treasure hunt didn't work out? Yeah, I guess so, he said. But why did you all give up so easily, Mrs. Vargas asked. The car got into the right lane and pulled off the freeway. Chris looked ahead at an area of town he had never been in before. Most of the area was filled with factory fronts and warehouses. 
I guess we just ran out of ideas, Maria said. Chris, it's not your fault any more than it is anyone else's. Chris was silent. Something about this area rang a bell in the back of his mind. The car jolted and felt as if something was pulling on the tires of the car. What's wrong with the car, Mom? Maria asked. Oh, it's just this road, Maria. They paved over some old railroad tracks here. The pavement is kind of rough. Suddenly, the bumping and pulling stopped. There, that's better, Mrs. Vargas said. See, the old tracks go that way. Chris looked out the left window and saw that the old railroad tracks in the pavement led to an old rickety bridge that seemed to be out in the middle of nowhere. Alarm bells rang in his head. Now we're past the old factory part of town and into a newer section, Mrs. Vargas said, and right over there is my store. She pulled into a parking lot and parked the car. I'll just be a minute, Mrs. Vargas said, closing her car door behind her. Chris's head was whirling with ideas and he barely heard her. Suddenly he called after her, Mom! Is it okay if I check out something we drove by over there? He pointed back the way they had come. I guess so, Mrs. Vargas said, but watch for traffic and don't go too far. I'll be right back. What do you want to check out, Maria asked, following Chris out of the car. A bridge, a railroad bridge, Chris said. A bridge? Why would they need a bridge around here, Maria asked. Exactly, Chris said. The river is miles from here. And he broke into a run. Chris, wait! Maria ran after him. Chris looked both ways, then bolted across the intersection. Maria was breathing hard two blocks later when she caught up with him. Chris turned the corner and ran down the street. Wait, Chris, she shouted. What's the hurry? He stopped suddenly, and Maria saw what he was looking for. The old metal bridge was rusted and broken. It was probably the ugliest bridge that either of them had ever seen in their lives, but right now it looked beautiful to Chris. So it's a bridge, Maria said. So what? Don't you get it? Chris said, walking over to the bridge and pointing to either side of it. The river ran right through here. Maria's eyes opened wide. Look, she said after a long minute. They both looked at the side of the bridge where a metal plaque read 1901. Chris looked at the empty lot covered with sand on either side of the metal bridge. If this is the riverbed here, then all we have to do is... His mouth dropped open as he looked toward the east. Chris looked past the shadows that he and Maria cast, past the intersection that marked the end of the factory section, and past the shadows of the tall buildings. On the hill beyond, a new neighborhood of houses was being built. At the top of that knoll were two giant boulders standing up on end. With their broken, jagged tops, and with the evening sun shining bright on them, the boulders looked like two giant birds. Crows? Maria finally asked. Crows, Chris agreed. They've got to be. He took a step toward them. Chris, no, Maria said. That's too far. Mom said she'd be right out. Let's go back and get the rest of the kids. Chris looked back at her. It'll be dark before we can get everyone out here. Maria stepped forward and grabbed his arm. What can you accomplish tonight that you couldn't do tomorrow? Friday is a short day for school. Let's come back in the daylight tomorrow. Prepared. Isn't that the treasure hunter's code? Be prepared? That's the Boy Scouts, Chris said, but I get the picture. In the meantime, Maria said, let's just keep this to ourselves, okay? It was hard to hold down their excitement around Mom and Dad, but they wanted to be able to solve this mystery on their own. You seem to be in a happier mood, Mom said. I guess Maria should have helped you with your math sooner. Then she went off to put Yo-Yo in bed. They called Willie that night and told him the new plan. Chris told Ryan the next morning before school, and Maria let the shoebox kids know at the first recess. School ended right after lunch the next day, and they were all eager and excited to find the end of their mystery.
Sammy's house was closest to the place where Chris and Maria had seen the boulders, so that was their meeting place. From there, they pedaled their bikes over to the new subdivision and the giant boulders. They don't look like crows to me, Sammy said as they stood beneath them and looked up. I think they look like parrots. No, parrots have fatter beaks, Willie said. I think they're more like buzzards. Whatever, guys, Chris said. They look more like crows than anything else we've seen around here. But how do you know they didn't just bring those two boulders in here when they started building these houses, Jenny asked. I don't think they could lift boulders that big, Chris said. It could happen, Jenny said. Look, it's the best lead we have, Chris said, starting to get angry. I think we have to have a little faith here. Well, what do we do now, Sammy asked. The map said, look for a sombrero and head toward it, Maria said. All I see are houses. Dee Dee whirled and looked around them. I think, Chris said, someone is going to have to climb one of the crows and look around. Who's going to do it? Chris looked at the gang, but no one volunteered. This is your party, Chris, Sammy said. I say it's you. I vote for Chris, Willie shouted. Everyone else for Chris? Shout yay, Sammy called. Yay! Congratulations, Willie said, pulling a rope from his backpack. You've just been elected king of the crows. Chris looked at the kids, then up at the huge boulders. He shook his head. What am I getting myself into? The story you have heard today is a chapter of the Shoebox Kids, Book One, The Mysterious Treasure Map. It was written by Jerry D. Thomas and used with permission from the Pacific Press Publishing Association. If you're interested in any other books published by the Seventh-day Adventist Church, please visit AdventistBookCenter.com or call 1-800-765-6955. This podcast is a production of the Carolina Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Let the children come. Don't dare drive them away. And then the kingdom comes. Hear the holy, foolish things they say. The springtime of their life decides the adults they'll become. So let the children come. Children's Bible Journey was brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio and is a production of Lifetalk Radio at lifetalk.net.